Hello, and welcome to the Harvest Podcast, brought to you by The Field in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we put love into action. We hope that you are blessed by these previous sermons by our pastor, Reverend Dr. Peter M. Weary. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a comment on whichever podcast platform you use. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church, as well as Instagram at The Field CLT. Be blessed.
Hallelujah. Bless your name, Jesus. We honor your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God glory. Aren't you glad he's here? He, if he was not here, he would still be here. He's so much God that if he was there, he'd be coming in here. He is God right by himself. There's no God beside him. There's no God like him. And he has chosen to be in our midst, his presence. Aren't you glad to be in the presence of the presence? It will change your direction, the presence. The presence will lift up your bowed down head. It will lift the burdens Mitch said you've been carrying. Come on, in the sanctuary, that's where we are. The sanctuary is the holy place. The place where our God has chosen to tabernacle. If it could hold him. But the good news is the reason that we dance is because when we leave here, He'll already be where we're going and never leaves us while we're moving. Oh, that's why we worship. That's why we praise because God is here. Hallelujah, somebody. God is here. What a blessing. What a blessing. We are so blessed. And so today, come on, let's go right to the word. I, I, I've, been, I've been wrestling with this thing. I'm eager to deliver the mail. This instant message that the Holy Ghost has sent from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. A little sizable chunk of that great letter from the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 26. Out of the Good News Bible, hear these words. In the same way, the Spirit also comes to help us weak as we are for we do not know how we ought to pray the spirit himself pleads with God for us in groans that words cannot express and God who sees into our hearts knows what the thought of the spirit is because the spirit pleads with God on behalf of his people and in accordance with his will we know that in all things God works for good with those who love him, those whom he has called according to his purpose. Those whom God had already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son so that the son would be fir the first among many believers. And so those whom God set apart, he called. And those he called, he put right with himself. That's good. Amen. And those whom God has already chosen, he also set apart to become like his son so that the son would be the first among many believers. And so those whom God set apart, he called. And those he called, he put right with himself. And he shared his glory with them. In view of all this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Certainly not God who did not even keep back his own son, but offered him for us all. He gave his son. Will he not also freely give us all things? Who will accuse God's chosen people? God himself declares them not guilty. Who then will condemn them? Not Christ Jesus who died, or rather who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God pleading with him for us. Who then, the book says, can separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble do it? Or hardship? Or persecution? Or hunger? Or poverty? Or danger? Or death? As the scripture says, for your sake we are in danger of death at all times. We are treated like sheep that are going to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we have complete victory. Somebody say complete victory. Through him who loved us. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor other heavenly rulers or powers, neither the present nor the future, neither the world above nor the world below. There is nothing in all creation that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah, somebody. with me this morning for a moment I want to talk about three sure things let's pray consecrate me now to thy service Lord by the power of grace divine let my soul look up with a steadfast hope let my will be lost in thine in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Listen to a poem by a brother named Jason McBride. He says, The morning air thickens with lilac, and I am like this fly who strains against its net prison. The web, stung, strung taut between waxy leaves, Catches sunlight in dewdrop prism pockets, a beautiful death. With a thousand eyes, he marvels at the finely wrought tapestry, even while he trembles at his certain end to be devoured this early hour of his lifespan a day. Quite unlike earth's attic dark corners where cobwebs overbaked in stale summer heat sag with the weight of dust. I've seen a hollowed fly carcass dangle there, gazing up at bare rafters with a thousand empty stares. I have such moments. In them I, from my spinning sphere, Send a cry through cupped hands, hurling sound waves that bend in space up past the moon, echoing around Neptune, words toppling over words, crunched and stretched by the Doppler effect in a web of whirling worlds and silent spaces. My voice, 
dissipating through galaxies, fills constellations with mere whispers. And you, Lord, pressed your stethoscope to the chest of the universe and listened. And my cries came to you like gnats or flies through the screen door of your clean and furnished mansion, buzzing in the shiny, waxy caverns of your ears. Ever felt like that spider? I sure have. The experience of most folk is sometimes the feeling of being caught in a web of frustration, disappointment, trouble, danger, of lethal exposure, disadvantage, failure, futility, and in fear. In fact, every person these days has got to live with a constellation of complex struggles, pollution, especially in poor communities, oppression, poverty, wars in Ukraine and all over the world, wars on the city streets of America because of political dishonesty and neglect, social upheaval, shifting values, substandard educational systems, financial uncertainty, racism, sexism, just dishonest treatment of, of people who are in poverty, misogyny. Sometimes it seems like our country and our culture have reached rock bottom of our social and personal existence. Taking the long view of history, we're not the first generation that had to live through things like this. Those of you older than 10 will remember that in most times of your life, it's felt at times as though the world was on, it, was on its way to hell in a handbasket. Some of us have lived through the Great Depression world wars, segregation, and all of us are living through that all over again. Race riots, drug and disease epidemics, you name it, we've seen it. The pandemic set a new historical marker of things ain't nobody really been through. Here's the alarming news. For thousands of years, in every generation, it has appeared that the world was coming unhinged and disintegrating. Don't take my word for it. The Apostle Paul, in writing the powerful and complicated words of this text before us, has zeroed in on what is actually the fundamental struggle of every person of faith. Be honest, how to live out our faith in the face of rock-bottom reality. Well, I know we don't like to admit we've been there, but listen to Paul. Paul himself was no stranger to trouble, to adversity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, Paul recounts some of the struggles of his life in Christ, talking about how five times he was lashed with 39 lashes, three times he was whipped by Romans, that he'd been stoned, that he'd been in three shipwrecks, that he spent 24 hours in water. In his travels by the time he wrote this letter, He'd been in danger from floods and robbers and danger from his own folk. You do know the folk who love you most can hurt you most. He had been in danger from strangers, dangers in cities, dangers in wild places, dangers on the sea, dangers from false friends. 
Paul says he's worked and toiled and a lot of times went without sleep. He'd been hungry and thirsty, a lot of times without enough food, shelter, or clothing. And not to mention other things, Paul said every day he's under the pressure of his concern for all the churches. Listening to Paul's struggle, family, is enough to make us rationalize so we can convince ourselves that was just Paul's struggle. I ain't got to go through all of that. I ain't never been through some of that. God just can't require that much heartache from me you might say but then we think back over our own story and realize that while you and I haven't necessarily been engaged in Paul's exact line of work we have been through some mighty hard times on our own we've all had some whippings some abuse some shipwrecks some dangers some betrayal, some hard work, some sleepless nights, unmet needs, crushing concerns. If I get to your street, you better say amen. But in the midst of these harsh realities, Paul starts to sing a hymn of hope. He, he declares uncategorically that the life of the believer cannot be defined just by the trials and troubles that you've been through. Y'all stay with me, I'm going somewhere. The believer's testimony can't be characterized only by the struggle. I'm over these disciples, these Christians, I will say. I'm over these Christians who ain't never got a testimony but always got something to bellyache about. Paul makes it plain that, that in the midst of all the scarring circumstances he's been through, he's been subjected to, there rings out in his soul a song of success. He even dares to paint the picture of somebody who excels in the exigent. It's never enough in the thinking of Paul to just get through, to just press your way. I'm sick of pressing your way, saints, too. It's simply, it's not enough to just go through the pain of living in a chaotic and confusing world. Uh, the disciple, according to Paul, can't allow himself or herself to be crushed by the brutal burdens of life, no matter what the challenge. Paul declares, he says, there is this invincible hope. He says, he, he says, there's an invincible hope. No matter what the problem, there is prevailing peace. Anybody want some peace today? What's Paul's problem? Is, is this a man in denial? I mean, is he just over-spiritualizing the situation? Just pretending that everything is all right? That's what's wrong with the religion happening in America today. I just read a report from... from uh, the Barna Group, and I just read a report from the Gallup Group, and it already shows that, that the number of people in America even believing in God is not going up, it's going down. That people have lost faith in the Bible, in the Word of God. They've lost faith in organized religion. I mean, it's no surprise when you see the horrible things folk do calling themselves Christian. I remember so well, vividly, on January six of the thousands of people hitting police officers and killing folk and, and bear spraying people and stomping on folk who were just doing their jobs. The Christian flag was waving in the wind. No wonder folk are turning in the other direction. You know, you know, listen here. You can't just pretend that everything is always all right. 
I get it. But, but we ought not also revel in the struggle that we're going through because everybody's got a struggle. You know how we do coughing and hacking up a lung, but because some TV preacher told us that being sick means you got weak faith, we won't get treated for that bronchitis. If I hit you, I didn't mean to miss you. So, so our system is half correct. I mean, we don't die on this case, in this case, we don't die of the bronchitis. We die of stupidity. We succumb to stupidity in search of faith. Oh, don't y'all turn me off yet. No, no, this ain't that. In fact, what Paul does for us in this profoundly perplexing, uplifting passage is to explain to every believer the basis of our hope. I guess if, if I were just to declare one thing that we all need to take home with us this morning, that we all need to take back to our jobs, that we all need to take into our communities, it would just be this. No matter what the challenges of life may be, there is always, somebody say always, there is always hope. God, I feel my help in here now. Now, now. now, for those of us who wrestle with the flesh and the blood and spiritual problems that come to every person, let alone every believer, the question is clear. How can we find this hope you're talking about, preacher, in the face of so much unspeakable tragedy and trouble, little children being gunned down, old people being gunned down, uh, uh, parades for Independence Day being shot up like a firing range? What do I need to do to get like Paul singing hymns of hope when my life is under attack? The good news is in this world of uncertainty and chaos, there are three sure things in the world. In this world, to say that there is any sure thing is, a, is really frowned upon and, and liable to be laughed at. In fact, in the world, it's said that the only sure thing is that there are no sure things. And somebody else said, the only two sure things in this country are death and taxes. Well, I've come by to tell somebody that there most certainly are some other sure things in our faith. The only way to find the kind of hope Paul had and the kind of hope that we are getting and some of us already have is to learn and to lean on the sure things of our faith that Paul understood. And what are the sure things? First thing, first sure thing is this family get this in your spirit God works for good watch verse 28 he says he says we know uh, that's a strong start uh, to that 28th verse we know that in all things somebody say all things yeah in all things God works for good here, here with, with those who love him with those whom he has called according to his purpose. Listen, Paul Paul finds his hope in the middle of uncertainty in life, not by focusing on the chaos, because you could do that all day long. He doesn't focus on the things he does not know. He starts out by telling us, in fact, throughout the passage, there are three sure things that he hangs his hope on. First of all, he knows that God works for good. Secondly, he says God is 
for us. And finally, he says, God is with us. I wish I had me somebody who would just believe it. These are definitely sure things because Paul starts with the sentence at verse 28 with the words, we know. He presents the statement that follows like an article of faith, you know, a foregone conclusion, a done deal. This is the point of departure for all faith. I mean, there are some issues that the family about which a believer just has to live up to his or her own name, believer. You just got to live up to your own title, disciple. We, we struggle with this though because too many believers misunderstand this, this promise that in all things, listen carefully, God works for good. It might be helpful to point out at this point, talk about what this promise is not saying listen carefully first of all this promise does not say that all things are good let me just stop right there it doesn't say all things are good this might be the most fundamental misapplication of faith there ever was and it is and it is this I am convinced that the principal problem of disciples when it comes to living lives of faith is that some things uh, we just don't get it some things are just bad and we need to be able to, and we'll never get rid of evil till we start naming it. Some stuff is just bad. Some things are just wrong. Some stuff is just evil. And we ought to work to try to get rid of them, period. Get yourself in a voting booth somewhere. If you don't like what's happening in the country, get yourself involved in the community. If you don't like a minority telling everybody else in the country how to live their lives, get yourself active in some kind of a, a support group or an advocacy group if you don't like the government telling you everything you can do in your life you just the problem is y'all that even though things are bad you need to remember why you're working to fix what you can fix because here's a news flash film at 11 God ain't obligated to fix nothing that you can fix for yourself if I hit you I didn't mean to miss you God I, Paul says God's gonna use the evil don't miss it God's gonna use the wrong the bad to bring about our good. Listen, th 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 this promise does not say that things will work out. I know I'm making some Bible toters mad today. He does not say that all things will work out. In fact, we, we offer this opiate to a lot of folk that when we don't have any answers, you know how we always like to, to, to jump in the middle of a vacuum of pain and say it's going to work out. You don't know that. You don't know the future. You don't know what they're going through. Oh, don't worry. Things will work out all right. They always do. No, they do not. Let me prove it. Some Sometimes things don't work out all right. Sometimes they don't go the way we prayed for them to go or the way we wanted them to go. If you can't admit it, just say ouch. The problem here is only true because the promise is true because even in the bad things, God is at work. I think I can shout right there. God is at work even when things don't go well. That's why the promise is so certain. It ain't based on hapless happenstance, the fickle finger of fate, the serendipity of circumstance. No. What happens for us is based on the effective choice and powerful activity of a God who loves us. The text in verse 29 does not say that things will work out the way we want them to or even that they're going to work out quickly. It does say that he will work them out, what? According to his 
purpose. A, a lump of clay looks like a mess on a wheel, on the wheel, and it, it has to be broken down and reshaped by the potter according to the potter's design. And sometimes it, 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 this looks like a, a misshapen mess and takes a few more turns of the wheel to get right. But his purpose, the potter's purpose, will be carried out. That's why the last, this promise does not say that this promise is for everybody. No, it decidedly says that it's for everybody who loves God and who is willing to be called a according to his purpose. So let me just bless you one last time uh, right here and say that God is at work. God is working when your nerves are being worked. Just know God is still working. When your enemy is working on you, just know that God is working in you. When the circumstances of life look hopeless, just know our hope is that God is at work. And everywhere God is at work, something corrects, something is created, something heals, something strengthens, something gets brighter because God is that much. God that problems cannot stand in God's way you ought to rejoice even if you're going through hell right now you ought to throw your hands up and say God is at work that's reason enough to give glory and praise to God no everything ain't going to be like you want it but it sure will work out for your good when God gets through how how can you do it how how can we find this magnificent hope in the face of so much unspeakable tragedy and unspeakable trouble know that God is at work for God is at work and and and, and secondly Paul says God is for us listen to verse 31 he says in view of all this Meaning, in view of the fact that God is working everything out for our good, even the stuff we don't understand and that we can't see the end of. Paul says, in view of all of this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? After all of this complicated theology of these previous eight verses, what does it all mean? It means if life is cruel, and complicated, full of burdens, full of challenges, how can the believer resist just coiling up like a rattlesnake and striking at everything that comes close? You ever met somebody like that? How, how, how can we avoid y'all adopting a gloom and doom view of the world when there's so much evil and so much pain? I've seen so much anger these last couple of weeks as people were gunned down uh, in, 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 in Highland Park, Illinois and as women grieved over losing the right to privacy and the right of autonomy over their own bodies and waking up the next day with one less right than their mamas had. I, I've seen so much anger and so much angst and so much turmoil and, and so much depression and some hopelessness but the answer, how can we do it? How can we find it? The answer is by changing our worldview and realizing that God is for us. I think the reason that people kirk out when stuff don't go their way is because they really have forgotten that they have a resource, somebody who is in their corner. Then, then, then if God is for us, family, it means that, it's, it, it means that, that the odds are stacked 
in our favor. If God is for us, then that's why Paul asked, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is nobody can stand against us. If God is for us, it means the odds are stacked in our favor. If God is for us, then every adversary better rethink his battle plan. If God is for us, it means that the world, the universe, the cosmos is ultimately designed for our benefit. No matter how many dastardly things happen, in the meantime, watch verse 32. Verse 32 says, God gave his son for us. God is for us. God is for us. God is on our side. Leonardo Boff says, God takes sides with the poor and the oppressed. God takes sides with those who are going through. Verse 34 says, that son is now in the position of honor and power with God, pleading for us. In other words, God is on our side. God is for us. Don't diminish God by believing that you've been whooped. Ain't nobody can whoop me because God is on my side. It may not come out like I want it to come out, but one thing I know is this. In the end, God is on my side. God is for me. God is with me. God is for us. That's what Paul says. God is for us and if God is for us, is there anybody with the juice to be against us? No. A little later in, his, in another letter he wrote, what can separate me from his love? Can height, can depth, uh, can principalities, can powers, can wickedness, can, can uh, trouble or death or sort? No. Nothing can separate us from his love. He is for me. I'm not by myself. God is for me. I'm not traveling alone. God is walking with me. I'm not weak because I have physical weakness. No. God is my strength. I'm not uh, the one who is in, in terminal need because this God I serve, Paul writing again said, I have uh, the, the exchequer of heaven at my disposal. He says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God is for me. Don't you get it twisted, baby. Just because I look like nothing, you better believe I got some backup. God is for me. I'm walking in peace. I'm walking in victory. Not because I'm living in peace. I'm living in a violent time. I'm walking in victory. Not because I know how stuff is going to turn out. But because I know if God is on my side no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. If God is on my side, no door shut in my face can stop me from going in. Yeah! If God is for me, I'm here because his power is keeping me. I'm here because his strength is quickening me. I'm here because his right hand has gotten me the victory. Say yes, God is for me. Yes, sir, I'm finding this hope because God is for me and it means he's with me. I'm here because Paul says, I am certain that nothing can separate me from his love. Yeah. I'm here right now because his love 
comes and sees about me. The reason he can talk like this is a sure thing because this love is a right now reality. God was willing to put his money where his mouth was. He sent somebody embodying that love, a body called Jesus. I'm here to witness and through preaching now, I just want to testify that Jesus is a sure thing. Can I get me some sense? Whoever been down and you called him and he stopped by and picked you up again. Can I talk to some folk who have struggled somewhere and out of the blue, seemed like out of nowhere, help came and made you run on Yes, yes. Can I talk to somebody who felt like you were all by yourself in the struggle, but you had some strength rise up in you. You had faith bubble up out of your belly so that you could speak a word of faith. Yeah, a word of faith that everything, he's going to work it. That everybody, he's going to work them. That every burden, he's going to lift them. That every locked door, he's going to open. That every malady, he's going to touch. That every evil, he will answer. Yeah, I'm so glad I got God on my side. So I ain't scared. I ain't fearing because his perfect love casts out my fear. High five somebody and tell them I ain't scared. Yes, Lord, I'm so glad God is working. He's working for me because I've been called according to his promise. I'm so glad God is for me because he's ever by my side. You better watch out, y'all, because when you think that I'm finished, he will come by and pick me up again. Somebody say yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, he will. He's able, yes he is, oh yeah, he's God, right by himself, oh yeah. And here, if I've learned nothing over all the years of my life, it is that God works for good. It is that God works for us. It is that God is with us. Oh, if that don't lighten your step, you must be dead. You better check your pulse. You better call the undertaker because I know that's right. 
Listen, listen, listen. Somebody is here in this worship space today and you've been wondering how you're going to face it. You can't watch the news because it just drags you down. Listen, I watch the news. I read the news. I got news feeds. I got all kind of newspapers I read every day. First of all, every preacher ought to have a newspaper in one hand and the Bible in the other. But secondly, I read the news and I watch the news, even the news that I think is dumb <laughs> and partisan. But I read it and I watch it because it gives me so many reasons to serve God. working for good it reminds me that he's working for me and it reminds me that he is with us oh if you can't believe that you need to stop trying to be a disciple go sell life insurance go, go get on the city and collect trash or something anything to get your mind off the fact that there are three sure things in this life. I know I'm right. So if you're here today and you don't have a church family, you need to be in the body of Christ. You don't have to be here in Charlotte. The field has partners, members all over this world, in other countries, in other states, right here in Charlotte. We're working on our sanctuary. And when that's finished, I want to challenge you to come and be with us. Till then, you need a church home. You need a pastor to cover your soul and to pray for you, to guide you, teach you. You need seasoned saints and younger saints to give you family and connections. You need to be trained and you need to be taught. You need a family, a community that is in the Word of God, believes the Word of God, and lives the word of God we want to invite you to be a part of the field if you're here and you need a church family there's a hashtag right down there on the bottom of your screen it says field me CLT so many have used it you can use it too just don't wait till tomorrow do it today if you don't catch the hashtag if you don't know what this hashtag stuff is about it's okay just say I want to be a part of the field that's enough somebody will reach out to you almost immediately and invite you in. I'm inviting you now to just first get right with Jesus. You need him as your savior. So would you just bow if you've never been baptized, if you've never confessed Christ in front of other people, that is to say you've never requested him to be in your life in front of other people. This is your opportunity. We want to welcome you into the family of faith. Come on, let's bow. Lord Jesus, repeat this prayer after me. Come into my life. I need you as my Savior. I am powerless to save myself. Forgive me.
for the wrongs I've done. My sins. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, there it is. It's done right now. Right now, angels are rejoicing in heaven. Right now, the family of faith of the field, they're rejoicing all over the world. Thank God you made it in before it was everlasting too late. Thank God your family tree has changed. Your trajectory, your direction in life will no longer be the same. Jesus is your traveling companion. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We're rejoicing right now as we get ready to leave this place. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. And then we're going to leave this place of privilege. How many know it's a privilege to worship with those, to be in community with those who live in the power of Jesus Christ? Amen. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper.
Thank you so much for listening to the Harvest Podcast. We pray that the message has uplifted, encouraged, and challenged you as you continue your walk with God. If you're looking for a church home, the great news is the field is not confined by the four walls of the church, for we all know that the people are the church. If you wish to become a partner in ministry, but more importantly, a member of God's family, simply reach out to us on Facebook at Mayfield Memorial Missionary Baptist Church or on Instagram at The Field CLT. Thank you once again and be blessed.